again, I didn't think about it until uh, Tom said about next Sunday being Resurrection Sunday. And the title of the message is The Resurrection and the Life. And um, He is the resurrection and the life. He is our resurrection and life. So let's just get started and turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11.17 in the King James. It says, by faith, Abraham, if you don't have a Bible, I, I neglect doing what Keith does. Raise your hand. Our ushers have got one. They let you borrow one of ours. If you don't have one that is your very own, that Brother Hagin used to say, that you can mark in and write on and write your name in sometime, then get rid of it and get one that you can because um, you need to personalize that thing. And sometimes when it says we or, or other things, you need to scratch through it and say, I, me, Phyllis, or Tom, or Rob, or whoever you are, and put your name in there so that when you read it, you personalize it and make it your own, you know, and get some highlights. I pick on Brother Copeland and I ask him, was those pages yellow or white when he got that Bible? Because his is so highlighted and marked up that you can't tell if the original pages were yellow or they were white. So if you've ever seen this Bible, you'd know what I was talking about. And it's not a new, it's, he's gone through so many that he just marks them all up. He said, that's good too. And that's good too. And he just marks everything. You'll see him out there on the back porch with a highlighter and he's just marking everything. And, I, and, and so you, you, you like, well, what's going to stand out to you? You know, it's all going to stand out to you. So glory to God. Let's start again. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, all I can think about when I read King James is Dave saying he can't understand it. I don't know about y'all, but so I picked you another verse so that we could make sure Dave understands it. Okay. All right. Hebrews 11, uh, 17 in the Living Bible. Let's read that. While God was testing him, well, God wasn't testing him, but the destroyer came in. Abraham still trusted in God and his promises. And so he offered up his son Isaac and was ready to slay him on the altar of sacrifice. Yes, to slay even Isaac, whom God had promised to give Abraham a whole nation of descendants. How are you going to get a whole nation of descendants when your son's dead? He believed that if Isaac died... Now listen to this carefully. Look at the screen. He believed that if Isaac died, God would bring him back to life again. And this is just about what happened. For as far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac was doomed to death, but he came back to life again. Now that's faith in God. Knowing that even though you can't see the end like we were talking about last week, that if God tells you to do something, you trust Him enough 
that if it looks like it's all falling apart along the way, that He's going to get you to the end of it. Even if He's got to bring you back from the dead to do it. Did you read that with me? To put it back there, it says, even if Isaac, if Isaac died, read the next part out loud. That's not everybody. Start in verse 19, right there. He believed that. Now, that's some faith there. That's why we can call Abraham our father in the faith. Because he truly believed that. Now, let's look at what resurrection means. Go ahead, guys. I think they gave you that. Put it up there on the screen. And while we look at this, I want you to think about, in this definition, what it means in your life. Find areas in your life that this would apply. The act of rising from the dead, the state of one who has returned to life, a rising again from decay. Now, this bottom part that they've got where you can't read it, um, a marked loss of strength or effectiveness. Does that apply in your life anywhere? A marked loss of strength or effectiveness, deterioration, Decline, decomposition, to become rotten, break down, corrupt, decompose, go bad. Has your kids ever gone bad? Think of areas. To lower or become lower in quality, character, or condition. Deteriorate, worsen, crumble, decline, degenerate, or just plain go downhill. Can you think of any areas in your life that that word might apply? We'll continue to think about it as we talk about some of these other areas. You might even want to write it down. But just keep it in your mind as we go through some of this stuff. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings. Now, areas in your life that are declining, decaying, going downhill, uh, deteriorating, lost, dead. It can be a marriage. It can be you have no finances. It can be an ear. It can be a blind eye. It can be a limb. It can be a child. It can be, um, it can be anything that's going on in your life that's going downhill. You're losing strength in that area. You're losing victory in that area. Anything. Maybe it's internal organs. Maybe it's just your mind. Maybe, maybe you haven't been able to think the way you used to think. Just because you've got gray hair, God didn't say anything about you not being able to think the way you used to think. So let's look at this. 2 Kings 13, verse 20. 
And Elisha died. Now, Elisha was a great prophet of God. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now, we just read about Abraham believing that if he killed his son, he would be raised from the dead. Now we're hearing about somebody that's dead and he touches another dead man's bones that's dead also. Now, you got the picture, right? You got dead and dead. What do two deads usually equal? Double dead. They don't usually equal life. Do you got the picture? They don't equal life. Let's read it out of another verse that really blessed me when I read it. Read it out of the NIV. Put it up there on the screen. If you don't have an NIV, look at the screen because this is going to bless you. It says, Elisha died and was buried... Now, the Moabite raiders used to enter into the country every what? Every spring. What time of the year is it? It's spring. And this was not a coincidence. I thought, Lord, you're so smart. I just like you. You are just so smart that you would have me teach this now. It's springtime. It's revived time. It's time when things come to life. Things maybe have been dormant all winter long. But springtime is the time that things get revived. You push off the old and you get off the cobwebs and you lose that extra five pounds and you, or 25 pounds like me and, and whatever, you know. But you, it's springtime, right? Let's read the rest of the verse. Once while some raiders were burying a man, suddenly, They saw, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. And they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched, didn't say it stayed there for five minutes, didn't say it stayed there for a month, didn't say it stayed there for a week, it said when it touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now, how is that possible? Now, this is the Old Testament. We have a new and better covenant today than they had in the Old Testament. Do you know that Elisha could not even be filled with the Holy Spirit? Just imagine if along with everything he had, he had the Holy Spirit inside of him. We should be so filled with the things of God that when people come in contact with us, our power and our anointing and the things inside of us just help set them free. Amen. 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 
There's such an anointing in us that when people come in contact with us, we hardly have to say anything. They just get joy. They just get peace. They just get comfort. They just want to be around us. They just want to say, where do you go to church? I, I just know you have to be a Christian. What, what's up? Because they can sense it. When they come in contact with you, they come in contact with life. When they come up close to you, they touch life. And maybe their physical body doesn't come back to life, but their spirit man can be quickened. They can come back to life. The person sitting next to you, that's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And every one of you that comes to church, come with a psalm or a hymn or a word of encouragement or something to build the person up next to you. Did you get up this morning and get you a psalm or a hymn or or something to build somebody up next to you? Huh? Or did you just come and barely get your hair combed and your teeth brushed? You see what I'm saying? We've got to build ourselves up. We wait on other people to build us up. When it's our job to build ourselves up so that we have something to give out. We should be building ourselves up on a regular basis so that when we do come in contact with somebody that's down, we don't have to. See, that's the problem with our society. Is we talk too much. And because of our talking too much, we don't show who we are. We convince them who we are with our mouths and they don't want to buy it because they see our actions on one side and our mouths on the other side and they don't want to buy it. But if we would live it before them and they would touch our lives and see who we are and their lives just change just because we walk up, just because of our peace that's in our life. You walk up and you have total peace and you have total joy. And you got a smile on your face. Do you know what just a smile can do for somebody? We drove through Starbucks the other day. And we were both laughing and giggling and smiling. And she said, and it was late in the day. She said, you're the first people I've seen smiling today. That's what she said. She said, you are the first people that I have seen smiling today. I thought, glory to God. Well, let's smile some more. Because society as a whole are down. They're sad. They're going through things. And when people are going through things, they want everybody to know it. Because they're having to deal with it. But you know what? We should be the opposite. And if you, when you're going through things, if you let it get you down, then it's going to get you down some more. But if you ignore it, then the devil doesn't have any turf to play on and he doesn't have any area that he can build on and you're just ignoring him and the more you ignore him, the quicker he goes away. So this man was let down into that tomb and immediately he came to life. Immediately he came to life. There's been people, I know, you know, when the woman touched Jesus, what happened to her? She was healed. 
There's been people that, that you've touched. You've touched. This one's touched. That one's touched. You've prayed with. We've touched. Healing has gone into their lives. You've, you've been able to minister to people just by being close to them or touching them or saying something to them. We should be even more that way. Even more that way. That when we come in contact with people, we give them life. We minister life to them. We are part of His body. We are His body. And when people come in contact with us, they should come in contact with life. Not sour, not dead, but life. And if a dead man's bones can bring somebody back to life, how much more a spirit filled on fire for God believer that's getting fed all the time that God's hand is on and He's blessing and He's doing things for every single day. We should be able to bring others to life that are around us just with our smiles, just with our words. Elisha didn't say a word. He was dead. (laughs) And sometimes that's the best way. We don't have to say anything because we're dead. To the flesh. It's what the Lord tells us. Die to our flesh and become alive to Him. You know, the devil himself is a master of deception and lying. You've heard it said. Keith said it. I've said it. If he tells you something, you should almost just turn the page and believe just the opposite because you know what he's telling you is not true. Have you ever watched those shows that it, it's like a police show or something? Or not even a show. You've been involved in it. That the detectives are trying to uh, have somebody like in an interrogation room. And they tell them, well, we found your DNA on the site. Or we found this. And the detectives are just lying to that person to get them to admit that they did something. They do it all the time. So I'm just going to tell you here as church members, if you ever get in a room with a, with a detective, <laughs> don't believe a word they say. <laughs> say, zip it and lawyer. That's all you say. <laughs> zip it and lawyer. And you do the same thing with the devil. You go, zip it and God. Bible. Zip it, God. Well, you do the same thing with the world. If you ever get arrested for anything, you just say, zip it, and you know one word, lawyer. Because they'll twist everything you said. The reason that I know that is because they're the same thing as newspaper article people. It doesn't matter what you tell them. They're going to twist it and say what they want to say. You know, they're going to add this sentence. They're going to say, well, you said this, yes, but you put this sentence here and this sentence here, and you took out this sentence and you did this. And you made it say whatever you wanted it to say. You didn't say it in context. You didn't say it. So we learned a long time ago. We don't say nothing. We zip it and smile. What's that movie, Madagascar? I love that show. No, I didn't love it. Excuse me, Keith. I liked it a lot. King Julian. Yeah, he'd just say... But the penguins were on there, and they got off the ship, and they just said, Smile and wave, boys. <laughs> they said, There ain't no guys in that boat. He said, what, do, what should we do? He said, Just smile and wave. 
Smile and wave. I do that a lot. Smile and wave. Don't have something to say about everything somebody says. The, de- the deceiver is out there to deceive you every step of your life. He says, he says, take this, you got a broke toe. Take this, you got, you got a kidney disease. Take this, you got a tumor in your head. Every day when you wake up, every day when you wake up, he shoots a pain at you. Take this, you got shoulder problems. Take this, your kid's doing this. Take this, your marriage is this. Constantly. He's constantly doing that. That's his job. That's his only job is to deceive you. It's his only job to wake you up in the morning and give you a pain. Oh, oh, you got cancer of the belly. Cancer of the belly. And if you sit there and think about that, well, you know what? I I hadn't been able to eat like I, I was. You know, and, and last time I ate that, it really did this to me. You know, and, and then uh, this has been going on for a while, you know. And maybe I should see a specialist about this. And no, the first thing you do is you get that Bible out, you zip it, and you get that book out. And you say, by his stripes, I was healed. And you don't let those thoughts just lay there. Get up out of that bed if you got to. Go do something else. But don't sit there and think on his lies. Because he is the master of feeding you lies. He's the master of telling you, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. Alfredo, Jake, you're going to fight today. It's going to be a big one. You're going to get a divorce. It's going to happen. This is going to happen. No, 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 no. He's going to have an affair. This is going to happen. You think on that stuff all day long. He'll be done had three affairs. You'll be done divorcing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen because your thoughts will put fears in you and your fears will come upon you. Whether it's marriage problems, whether it's sickness, whether it's a tumor, whether it's you'll never get married, whether it's you're going to be broke all the days of your life, whether it's you're never going to have this, whether you're whatever it is. But if you can think about it, your fears, you keep thinking about it, and that fear will come on you. And you'll say, I knew they were going to do it. I knew it. No, you brought it on yourself with your fears. You kept thinking about it long enough that you got in fear about it, and it happened. You can say, I, the, I knew it was going to happen. I knew, yes, you knew it was going to happen because you just went right like this and opened that door and you didn't just open a single door, you opened those double doors back there. Right. And the devil did exactly what you wanted him to do. You got down, you got depressed, you got sad, you got concerned, and there was no life in you. You brought, instead of bringing life in that can bring life to others, you brought death in. You brought fear in. You want to see somebody that did that? Turn with me to Genesis 37, verse 26. The devil can just flat lie to you, and you can believe him. But that don't mean it's true. You can Just because you believe him don't mean it's true. 
Just because you believe your spouse is doing something wrong, that don't mean it's true. Just because you believe you got sickness in your body, that don't believe mean it's true. Just because you believe your kids are doing something wrong, that don't mean it's true. Don't just believe the lies the devil is telling you. Don't believe these things. Look at this. The devil's good at painting pictures. He's good at manipulating stuff and making it look that way. Okay, Genesis 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, this is King James, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. They really cared that he was their brother in their flesh. And, uh, let's see, his brethren were content. And they were passed by the Midianites. Then they're passed by the Midianites' merchantmen. And they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. And they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. He wasn't worth much, huh? And they brought Joseph to Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit. And behold, Joseph was not at the pit. And he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brothers and said, The child is not. And I whither, and whither shall I go? Now look at verse 31. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dripped the coat in the blood. Deceivers. Just like the devil. And they sent the coat of many colors that they had brought and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. In other words, his brothers killed an animal, took the the animal's blood and put it on his coat, sent it to his father and asked him, Is this Joseph's coat? Do you recognize it? Verse 33. And he knew it. And he said, it is my son's coat. And he saw a picture. He immediately made up his mind what had happened. The devil gave him a thought. And what did he do? Now, Keith tells me all the time, we'll be driving along. He'll say, what's their story? Because he knows I'm going to make up a story. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? You see somebody walking along, or you see somebody in a car, or you see somebody doing something. And I just do it. I just think it's fun. Oh, they're from here, and they're doing this, and they're on their honeymoon. Or they're from here, and and they came here for vacation. Or or they're from here, and they're divorced, and they've got his kids and her kids. And and I just make up stories. (laughs) I don't watch too much TV, so I like to make up my own stories, you know. So, you know, it's just fun. Well, this is what he did. He made up his own story. Okay, he said, and he knew it. And he said, it's my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. And Joseph is, what's the next two words? Without doubt, rent in pieces. Now, did he have any proof that Joseph was without doubt rent in pieces because he found a coat? Do you have any proof that you've got cancer because you had a pain in your belly? That was weak, 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 weak. 
Do you have any proof that you don't have cancer because you had a pain in your head or your side or your ear or your nose or your tonsil or whatever? It's just a pain. People have them every day. No proof. Verse 34. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The Living Bible says, verse 33, Now, this is how serious it is. Just putting your own story behind stuff. Yes, he sobbed. It is my son's coat. A wild animal has eaten him. Joseph is without doubt torn into pieces. Then Israel tore his garments and put on sackcloth and mourned his son in the deepest mourning for many weeks. His family tried to comfort him, but there was just no use. Now, why am I reading this to you? Because there's people in here, there's people out there, there's people in Branson that the devil has come to you and he's fed you a whole big package of lies about your physical symptoms, about your marriage, about your kids, about your other extended family, about different things. And you have swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. You know what that means, right? How many fishers do I have? You didn't just swallow the hook. You swallowed the line behind it and the sinker that was a half a mile behind the hook and the line. I mean, you just kept on swallowing. And not only did you swallow it, but you wallowed in it. And no one could convince you otherwise. That's the way deception is. Keith's taught us about it, but that's the way deception is. When you choose to believe something that's not true, no one can tell you different. A lot of times, you know, that's one thing it's good sometimes to have a staff that works in a different area or or a different position or something, because you can ask them, what do you think about that? Because you only see it the way you see it. And if you're dumb enough to only believe your opinion is the best, you're pretty stinking dumb. That only the way that you see it, only the way that you like it. Now, if God told you a specific thing, that's different. But if you're just going by your opinion, that's a different thing. It's good to have, the Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there wants not sin. Well, sin is worry. So if people around you are trying to convince you, you know what, that's just not true. God says, by your stripes you're healed. Or God says, you don't have to be, I'm, I'm not having an affair. Or God says, this is not happening with the kids. I, I've checked on them. I know where they were that night. This is not happening. And you just choose anyway to believe the negative 
Who can help you? They couldn't help him. No matter what they did, they could not help him. Let's go on reading. Uh, let's see here. Um, for, chapter 45, verse 24. He was convinced he was dead. You can be convinced things in your life are dead. You could have mourned them for decades. You could have mourned not being able to have kids for decades. And your body is this way. And you're just never going to be able to have them. And the devil has convinced you of that. You believed his lie. That's a devil's lie. That's not God's lie. He said, be fruitful. Then you should be confessing, I am fruitful. And it'd be like Keith saying about that lady that said she couldn't eat. And he started telling her, say, I have a voracious appetite. At some point she had to quit saying that. <laughs> You'd have to quit saying, I'm, fr- I'm not that fruitful. <laughs> Verse 24. Chapter 45. He sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he sent them. What happened was, his brothers went to Egypt, and and um, this is verse 24. You need to read the whole story sometime. I don't have time to read the whole. It's pretty lengthy. Okay? So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said unto them, um, See that you fall not out of the way. And they went up to Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan unto their father. And told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. They told their father this. Those exact words. They saw him with their own eyes. They saw Joseph. He was running the whole of Egypt and he was in charge of everything. And he told them, they told their father, Joseph is yet alive. He is the governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. Read the next part. Read the next part. For he believed them not. He had made up his mind that a lie was the truth. And even though Joseph was alive, they could not convince him. Even though I'm standing here today and telling you there's not one part of your body that cannot be quickened and come back to life. There's not one part of your marriage that cannot be quickened and come back to life. There's not one part of your brain that cannot be quickened and come back to life. There's not one thing about your kids that God can't quicken and bring them back to the life of God. But they believed, for he believed them not. Now, there's people sitting in here right now. When we read the first part about Abraham, that God could bring Isaac back to life. And, with, and when bones were dropped in on bones, that they came back to life. They, they went, yeah, those are good stories. But they're not stories. They're facts. They're truth. And we have to trust God enough to know that he's not a liar. Amen. 
And if he says something in this book, it's truth. But the problem is, people haven't spent enough time with God and spent enough time in his book to know that he doesn't lie. And so when they told this to him, he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, he had to what? When they saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go to him before I die. Look at the Living Bible. Verse 24. So he sent his brothers off. Don't quarrel along the way was his parting shot. And leaving, they returned to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. Verse 26. Joseph is alive, they shouted, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now read the next part. But Jacob's heart was like stone. He couldn't take it in. Now, we've been talking about the soil. Keith has been. So that ought to mean something to you today. Jacob's heart was like stone and he couldn't take it in. But when they got, when they'd given him Joseph's messages and when they saw the wag, he saw the wagons filled with food that Joseph had sent him, his spirit was revived. And he said, it must be true. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. You know what I think one of the saddest things is? To me, with Christians, as a pastor, Keith or I or any minister can stand up here and, and, and pour your heart out and get messages or, or people can actually read their Bible, they can read their chapter, you can tell them the truth, what the Word says, you can do it for decades and really push and get stuff into people. Basically trying to convince them that God's truthful and His Word is true and that He'll keep His Word to you and that He's a good God and He won't hurt you and just those things. And it can take you decades to really convince people of that. Decades to really get it in their hearts, grounded, convince them of that. And the devil can come along in 30 seconds, the devil, the known liar, the known deceiver, and tell them something. And after 20 years of them having a foundation of listening to the Word or listening to the Bible or whatever, the devil can come along and tell them one lie. And they will believe that devil's lie over all the foundation that they've had for decades. I find that sad. They will believe the devil that you've got terminal cancer, you're going to die. They will believe the devil's lie that your marriage is falling apart. There's no way you can save it. They will believe the devil's lie like the testimony about the, the kidney. Thank God those people didn't. 
but you have so many that do. That the devil feeds them one thing into their thought processes and they shut down. Let's not do that. Let's make the devil be the one that has to prove stuff to us. And God be the one that if he says something, we just believe it. We just accept it immediately. We just say, I'm for God. I'm all for God. Devil, you're out of here. Give him his walking papers. Instead of being like like um, Jacob was and believing the bad before we believe the good. We don't have to be that way. How many of you will at least look at it from now on? And when the devil feeds you something, you'll at least say, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not going to just fall for that, Mr. Devil. I'm going to believe what I know in my heart is true. I don't have to be sick. I don't have to be broke. I don't have to be falling apart. I don't have to have my marriage falling apart. I don't have to have my finances falling apart. Well, you say, I've been this way for a long time. Well, how many of the devil's stories have you listened to? doesn't have to be that way. Things can be different. I'm going to help you with that today. I think you're going to begin to see it, how you can get out of it so easily today. The Lord showed me something. It's just miraculous. I, I had never seen it before. I didn't know it existed. It's going to help you. I'm telling you, it's going to help you. It's going to help you. It's going to help you. You want something to help you? I like things that help me. To never have to believe the devil's lies and things that's going on. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this. When it comes to the devil, this is what you have to do. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's what you have to do with the devil. When he tells you something, you've got to fight to get that out of your mind. You've got to cast down those imaginations and those thoughts and every high thing that exalts itself against what you know about God. And you've got to kick the devil in the tush and tell him to get out. You, that's the good faith fight. Is fighting to stand believing what you know God said instead of just crumbling and doing what the devil said. That's what it means to fight. It means that you don't just believe the first thing that you hear, that your son's dead. It doesn't matter how much evidence the devil brings you. It doesn't matter if you see a text on your spouse's phone. It doesn't matter if you see uh, a, a, a test report that says you have cancer. It doesn't matter if you see a test report that says you have a tumor. What you do is you talk to that tumor and you say, Go away in Jesus' name. Dry up, shrivel, go away. And then you fight the fight of faith of believing what the Bible says and not what the devil says. It doesn't just fall on you like Brother Hagin used to say, like ripe cherries off of a tree. It's something that you have to do with your mind. You have to continuously be telling your mind, I'm not going to believe what the devil told me. I'm not going to believe that that's Joseph just because I saw that coat with blood on it. Just because I saw that report. Just because I saw that sign, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe this. Amen. I'm going to believe this and nothing else. I'm going to zip it and believe the word. That's what I'm going to do. I want 
to show you right now two videos. You guys can let the screen down. And when I saw these two videos, one of them I've shown before, and I was just very, very surprised by the first one. I had never seen anything like it. Now, some of you may have. Some of you may be real science fanatics, and you may have seen something like this before. The first one I call Adapt-A-Frog. And you'll understand it after I show it to you. The second one I call Resurrection Frog. I want to know when I get back up here, I'm going to have you stand up because I want to know which one you are. (laughs) After we show it. I think it's going to change your life forever. Because our circumstances in this life are like that first frog. Continuously, we live in this world. And continuously, there's things around us that are continuously trying to get us to adapt to the way the world thinks, the way the world does things, the way the circumstances are around us, the way the people think around us. And in order to be different, God said we are a peculiar people. It didn't mean we were weird. It didn't mean we were wacky. It just meant that we stood up because of what we stood for and what we believed. But I think you'll understand it after you see these two videos. So they're going to roll them and you'll see what I'm talking about. A frog is a cold-blooded animal and humans are warm-blooded. So our body burns energy or perspires to maintain the same 98.6 degrees. The cold-blooded frog's body temperature goes up and down with the temperature of its surroundings. Although frogs love water, when I hold it over this pot of boiling water, this frog is very uncomfortable and climbs to get away from it. The water in this pot is room temperature, 69.4 degrees, so he's comfortable when I put him in. If I turn the burner on low flame, His body temperature will adjust and slowly he will heat up with the water. The water temperature has risen to 80 degrees and the frog is the same temperature and still comfortable. If I turn up the burner slowly again, he won't notice because he'll continue to change to be the same as his surroundings. When we started, I held the frog over the first pot of boiling water. He was uncomfortable and he tried to get away from the heat. But now, because we're raising the temperature slowly, he doesn't recognize the danger he's in. He just keeps going along with the changes in his surroundings. Eventually, we can turn up the burner to a deadly boil. He will just keep trying to adjust with it. By the time he realizes it's killing him, it's too late. He won't notice in time because he just keeps changing himself to go along with the changes in his surroundings. Go ahead and play the other one now. Here's the thing about North American wood frogs. They're small, 
might be very difficult to spot a frog. Very small, but they're everywhere, just out of view, hiding on the forest floor. Nothing. He's, he's camouflaged. His coloration is the same as the soil around him. You see him here? He's cold. You can find them here in southern Ohio and all the way up to the Arctic Circle. But wherever they are, once it gets cold with the first sprinkle of ice, this frog does something I didn't know was possible. As soon as the frog touches, just touches an ice crystal, this animal is going to freeze. Freeze, freeze? Freeze, solid freeze. That touch of ice immediately sets off signals inside the frog, says Professor John Costanzo, that pulls water away from the center of its body, so the frog's internal organs are now wrapped in a puddle of water that then turns to solid ice. I, I, I still can't get over it. it. It's really an amazing, amazing thing. There is no breathing, no kidney function. The heart stops. And there'll be no heartbeat for a long period of time. You mean, as in no heartbeat? Right. Nothing. Flatline. Flatline? For an hour or two? It could be for days, perhaps even weeks. Really? It sounds like it's virtually dead, no? We know that the frog isn't dead, but he's probably about as close as you can get to being dead. Yes. <laughs> so, from the outside, this little frog feels like a rock. Except that as it froze, the frog flooded itself with a kind of sugar. The frog's blood sugar is distributed through the circulatory system. It works like an antifreeze. It's harder for the water to freeze, so cells stay just damp enough for the animal to hold itself together. Until the springtime. When the days grow a little longer, and the ground gets a little warmer, and then, well, a kind of miracle happens. After weeks or months of no heartbeat, none, suddenly there's a pulse. And that first heartbeat leads to another, and then another. And then within a day, and in the case of this little frog, it took about mm, ten hours, the animal literally comes back to life. Spontaneous resumption of function. Why? We don't know. We don't know what triggers that event. And think how elegant a business this is. Because although the sun is warming up the outside of this little guy, somehow his insides, his heart, his brain, they thaw first. His insides warm up before his outsides. But somehow, it all happens in perfect synchrony every spring. Every spring. Every spring. Okay, so, did you get the first frog? Have we adapted to our surroundings? Because everybody thinks this way? Is it our normal way of thinking? Have we adapted to what people think and what people do? And then it becomes so late in our lives 
that we just keel over and die? That's not going to be me. Not going to be me. Not going to be me. And we can do it before we realize it, just like that frog. We start adapting here. We start adapting there. We start adapting here. And the temperature starts rising and rising and rising and rising. And we've conformed a lot more than we think we have. What we need to do is if we have hardened, like Jacob hardened, if we've gotten hard in some areas and we've thought, no, God can't do that. God can't fix my ear that I can't hear out of. God can't fix my blind eyes. God can't fix my marriage situation. God can't fix my family. God can't fix my finances. If we have hardened in any way, what's the first thing that's got to change? Our insides. Did you hear what they said about that frog? It's the same thing with us. Our outside circumstances are not going to change until our heart changes. And as soon as our heart changes and we say, Yes, God, it's springtime and you are. You are my resurrection. You are my life. And it doesn't matter what was dead in your life. When we first read that about resurrection... It can come to life. Let's read another verse. We'll do it in closing. Look at John. Chapter 11. Have you ever seen videos like that before? I know I showed the frozen one years ago, but I never showed that adaptive frog. How'd you like that star frog? (laughs) Some people went, oh, when they saw that frog ball. I thought, yeah. But I think that's amazing. Because I think that's how humans are. They do not realize how easily that they're getting sucked into circumstances and how much they're conforming and adapting. And before they know it, things have happened in their lives. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be one that adapts to things of the world. I want to be one that that changes for God. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and do it the way God wants it done. This is John, King James... Chapter 11, verse 1. Now there was a certain man. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus. Anybody know where we're going? Of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but unto the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Say, my trial, test, whatever I've been going through, is going to glorify God. I'm coming out, and it's going to glorify God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. And when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that said unto his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou 
thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk at night, he stumbles, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples to the Lord, If he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he was spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now how plain can you get? <laughs> Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then Thomas said, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Another doubter there. (laughs) And when Jesus came, he found that he had laid him in the grave uh, four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Mary, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house and said, Martha... Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know, but I know. What do you know? But I know. Which one are you? Y'all are mighty quiet. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Look at this next verse. Look at it on the screen. Look at it in your Bible. Mark it. Draw stars around it. Pictures. Put your name in there. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It doesn't matter what part of you is dead. You believe in him and yet shall it live. No matter what part of you was dead... If you believe in him, so shall you live. He said, I am the what? Resurrection. Resurrection. Did you put that definition up there what resurrection is? The act of rising from the dead. There's people in here, I can tell by looking at you, you need to rise from the dead. I'm telling you, it's some dead people in here. You hadn't smiled the whole service. That means dead. Because Jesus is our joy. Also, the state of one who is returned to life. Do you have something in your body that needs to return to life? Return to life, rising again from decay. 
way. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If you believe in me, whatever's dead is going to come back to life. And whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Here's the question. Here's the question. This is what it all boils down to. This is what we've been talking about all morning. Believest thou this? Do you believe God or do you believe the devil? See how weak that is? Do you believe God or do you believe the devil? It's not that I'm trying to get words out of you. It's what people's heart is. They don't truly believe that God can touch them like dead men's bones touching dead men's bones and something come to life. How hard is it for the hand of God and the power of God to touch whatever area it is in your life the Almighty One, the Anointed One with all power to touch whatever area it is in your life, He made you. He created everything that there was in your body. How hard would it be for His anointing to come in that chair with you and dump on you and heal every part of your being and renew your mind and wash away things of your past? And put a clear thought in your mind about what truly is going on. How hard is that for him? Is it harder for dead bones to touch dead bones and come to life? Is it harder for him to raise Isaac from the dead? Which is harder? Or for him to touch you wherever you need a touch? It said, believest thou this? How many believers do I have in here? I believe it. I believe it. Look at verse 30. Now, Jesus was not yet coming to town. He was still out at Mary's house, but was in the place where Martha and Mary met him. Then verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? And they said unto the Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone was laid upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. Do you know there's stuff in your life that might stinks? Huh? Huh? It can have been in there a long time and it might stinks. When you clean it up, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. If y'all would believe, if we would believe, 
If we would believe. If we would believe. If I would believe. Make it personal. If I would believe. Is it springtime? Is it resurrection time? If I would believe. I would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that you would hear me, because you hear me always. But because of these people which stand by here, I said it. That they may believe, and that thou hast sent me. And when thus he had spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he, he that was dead came forth, bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. So I got one question for you in here today. Which frog are you? Stand up if you're a resurrection frog. I want to know in this place today who has something dead? Don't be shy. Dead, dead, dead. Everybody in this place probably got something dead. Raise your hand all over this place. Dead, dead. Dead, 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 dead. If you can put your hand on it, put your hand on it. If it's a marriage, hold your partner's hand. If it's your head, your belly, your neck, your ear, your eyes, your nose, your... Whatever it is, put your hand on it. Check your heart. Make sure you believe. Because this is how hard it is to believe. Tell the devil to... We're going to tell the devil to shut up. And we're going to say we believe... And we're going to trust God. The devil's a liar. And we've just chosen to believe him entirely too long. He's not bigger than God. He is not bigger than God. The devil is not bigger than God. The devil is not bigger than God. The devil is a little peon. And God is massive. And he made everything that you see. And he made you and he made me. And he made your spouse that you've been fighting with. And he can change them. And he can change you. And he can change your ear. And he can change your nose. And he can change your eye. And he can change your toe. Because that's who he is. He made it. And one touch of his anointing can break you and set you free forever. Amen. He's good at raising the dead. Amen. He raised Jesus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised dead bones from the dead. Amen. He can raise you from the dead. So devil, say it with me. Devil, you're done. You have no part with me. My stone heart is gone. I am not adapting to you. 
is the resurrection. He is my life. I speak life into my eyes, ears, nose, toes, belly, marriage, kids, finances, job, family. I call it Lazarus. Come forth. Be free. Never bound again after today. Now thank him. Father, we thank you. 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 You are the resurrection. You are the life. I speak life into each and every one of these situations. I speak freedom into them. No more bound. No more bondages. Free, free, free. Free, free, free. Free. Now, there's going to be some people that's going to see some things instantly. I want to know about them. If you've, if you've noticed something instantly, just tell us immediately. Raise your hand or something. But um, there's going to be some other people. Yeah, there's, there's some hands all over. Um, but there's going to be some other people that you're going to have to resist the devil. And quit adapting to him. So as soon as you, immediately after we got done with that, immediately the devil came and said, see, that didn't work. Say, yes, it did. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. I'm very demonstrative. I said, yes, it did. And kick the devil out. Kick him out. Because the devil doesn't know. He doesn't know. I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. Yes, by his stripes, I'm healed. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Smith Wigglesworth tells a story about the little dog. You remember it? This woman. He said, you got to treat the devil like this. There was this woman and she had this little dog and she went to the bus stop. And the little dog followed her to the bus stop. And she said, little doggy, you're going to have to go home now. And he just kept following her. So they kept going further. The little doggy followed her. She said, little doggy, I said, now you're going to have to go home. The little doggy kept following her. So she sat at the bus stop. She talked to him for a little while. Somebody, people there. Little doggy was there. She said, now doggy, I said, you're going to have to go home. Little doggy just stayed there, wagged his tail, licked on her and everything. Then the bus came. Bus started pulling up. She said, I said, go home, little dog. Dog took off and ran home. That's just the way the devil is. Sometimes I think he's hard of hearing. And sometimes you have to let him know you mean business. You're not playing with this. You've played with it too long. I had a friend. She came to me one time. She's one of my best friends. She came to me one time and she said, I don't understand it. I kept telling this guy, no, I don't want to date him. No, I don't want to date him. No, I don't want to date him. But he keeps calling me. He keeps calling me. He keeps calling me. 
I said, how'd you tell him you didn't want to date him? She said, I said, no, I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> I said, you can't do that. I said, you got to tell him, don't call me anymore. We're done. You can be nice, but just don't do it anymore. I'm not seeing you anymore. No, done. And that's the way the devil is. You cannot play with the devil. You know why? Because he knows you're playing. He knows you're not serious. That's why when I said kick him, half the crowd still didn't do it. You know what that is? Adapting. You're adapting to just exactly what the devil wants you to do. And before you know it, that's what hurts as a pastor because before you know it, we're going to be getting a call. Did you know such and such is in the hospital? They have terminal cancer, stage four cancer. But they didn't fight when a circumstance came up that was smaller that they could win, the lion or the bear. They didn't do what we told them to do here so they're not equipped to fight here. And we're like... It's really sad but we know yes God can perform miracles but he can't do it against their will and if they're not gonna fight we can't fight for them that's why when I said kick the devil out of your life every person in here should have kicked run jumped, screamed yelled unless you want him in your life so we're gonna try it again I'm not a quitter. I ain't never been one. I ain't going to start being one today. That's why the devil don't mess with me too often because he knows I ain't going to quit. How many of you want the devil out of your life for good? Then you get your little foot and you get it ready to kick his tush out of your life. And you mean it. And if you have to do it again this afternoon, and if you have to do it again tomorrow morning, and if you have to do it again tomorrow at noon, and if you have to do it again tomorrow at 2 o'clock, and if you have to do it again tomorrow at 8 o'clock, and if you have to do it again tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you get your foot up in the air and you kick his out of there. Are you ready? you mean business now he knows you mean business. hey if I can kick him out with these heels on you can for sure kick him with those tennis shoes on mean business with the devil mean business with God make your words count for something and you'll see a change in your life quit adapting to the devil be all in for God all in I mean every ounce don't cross that line don't get close to that line don't come even in the state with that line of being close to the devil be one million percent for God can you say amen amen, amen. amen. I've got